Did you see This Is Us last night? No. Uh, Brittany watches This Is Us, but typically I don't. You're really missing out. That's what everybody says. I say it feels a little too much like real life for me to get invested in This Is Us. I totally get it. That's why I couldn't watch uh, Breaking Bad. Yep. So what what, what happened? <clears throat> so there's this new storyline where Kevin is dating uh, a black woman. Okay. And they're going on a trip. Mm-hmm. And she makes the comment that I forgot my silk pillowcase. Ah, uh, yes, the silk pillowcase. Yeah. And Kevin says, well, aren't you a princess? Mm. I bet this caused problems. It does cause problems, but it also ultimately makes a really great solution. Mm. But the thing that I kind of loved about it in that moment was I turned to your dad, who, by the way, watches This Is Us with me and really enjoys it, just FYI. Fine, fine. And he... And I looked at each other and we said, it's not about being a princess. No. And it was just such a moment for us to think that our granddaughter is already teaching us stuff. Yep. And it adds a texture and a depth to the story for us in that moment that we knew that other people were missing. Well, it warms my heart as... Nora's father to know that you've paid attention enough to what we're doing to try to care for her and in this case to care for her hair well, that thanks. you that you knew that there was that Kevin was getting himself in trouble before he did yeah it was just a moment you know it was a moment of uh, gratitude and also a moment that made me think about the message we did last week okay you ready to get started I am kind of ready to get started All right, welcome North Star community. This is Scott. This is Teresa. We are bringing you a recap of the past weekend's message. This is a new format we're playing with where we dialogue about the message from the week before. And um, we're just always trying new things. So yeah. there's no good reason why we're doing this other than we're trying new things. We enjoy doing it. Uh, we hope you enjoy it too. If you have feedback for us, let us know. Yeah. We often don't know if, if these things are hitting the mark or not, so so get in touch. Yeah, and people's interest level tells us what to do, or more often than not, what to stop doing. So let us know. Keep us posted. Yes, so we have been in this series on spirituality, spiritual disciplines. I think if I were to summarize, this has been, this series has largely been your brainchild, uh, although I've contributed a couple to it. Um, and if I were to try to summarize, I think probably uh, the the core of, of this series, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is the importance of having disciplines that we stick to over the long haul, because if we don't stick to them over the long haul, and I'm using disciplines there very broadly, yeah, um, we are not grounded. Yes, and that the lack of grounding is completely predictable. So what I've been really trying to um, hone in on, hoping that people will, you know, maybe think about this for themselves, is this idea that 
our lack of grounding shows up in very repetitive, habitual, compulsive ways of thinking, feeling, and acting. And I'm really sensitive to the fact that in my life, and it seems like in the life of my friends, that we're often very frustrated because there are these things that are habitual, repetitive, and compulsive that we don't like about ourselves. Yeah. And uh, we get frustrated when we don't see what seems to be meaningful change for ourselves and frustrated with others, too, in that. So, yeah. Yeah, and and I think the starting point was, you know, so often we get to points in life and we think, um, or maybe we should think and we don't, how did I get here? Yeah. I think more often it's like, why am I here? Why is God doing this to me? Why is the world doing this to me? I think what you're trying to get us to do in this series is ask the question, why am I here? Meaning, uh, what have I done to contribute to the place that I'm in? Or what have I not done that has prevented me from being in a different place spiritually? Yeah. And... Which, is, which is not to say that, and I think we qualified this numerous times in a previous podcast, but that's not to say that we're solely responsible for where we end up in life, but it's a way of saying if we are committed to certain things, um, we can't necessarily promise outcomes, but we can promise that the process will be different and our response to our outcomes will reflect our faith and our certain way of seeing rather than just our reactivity. Yeah, and like even the question, why am I here? Without spiritual disciplines, um, that's too strong a statement. The, the lament of why am I here, when not, when not asked with great intention, often feels like a complaint, mm-hmm. but is definitely not very self-aware. But I like the question, why am I here, from a position of curiosity. Hey, why am I here? Uh, what am I showing up for? Um, what's my purpose for being here? Now I've switched the question to being a question of curiosity and also enriching sense of purpose. So going back to the This Is Us story, why am I here? Um, Well, one of the things that I know I'm here for is for my grandchildren. Yeah. And so I am exceedingly curious about everything to do with my grandchildren. Because I'm here for them. They're not here for me. Yeah. And that's the difference in those two questions in my mind. Yeah. All right. So take us into this week. You, um, the, the biblical grounding for it was the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. Yeah. I um, love that story. Was there any background to the message leading into the message that you wanted to mention first? Or well, did you I always go- have to attribute the fact that uh, a lot of this came out of just sort of an inspired evening with our friend Dale and Juanita Ryan, where he taught on it. So the good stuff in this, he gets credit for. This is the second of three messages with all all attribution to Dr. Dale Ryan. Absolutely. Yep. Um, And then in terms of the background of the exact context of this story, this seemed important to me. That in the first couple of sentences, before we get to the woman at the well, uh, there's actually something happening. Mm -hmm. 
um, Jesus has realized that the Pharisees have been keeping count of baptisms. And they've turned it into a competition. Which makes me think about how sometimes as churches, they report their baptisms. It makes me think about the most boring competition of all time. It's really, I mean, like, <laughs> you got to stoop to this. To I compete. would rather watch a basketball game. I, uh, you know, <laughs> I'd rather watch Dallas Cowboys lose. But anyway, um, so um, I would want them to win, but I often watch them lose. Sure. So um, Jesus realizes that the Pharisees are counting and he's winning. <laughs> And they leave it to Jesus to win a competition by accident. I know. And they posted the score. And what was happening to the crowd is nobody was asking, what kind of competition is this or why are we doing it? Right. Instead, they turned he and John into rivals because John was baptized. That's who he was counting against. Yeah. Functionally, they, they obviously they didn't see themselves that way. Yeah. So Jesus then left the countryside and he went on to Galilee. Mm-hmm. And so I think this sort of sets the tone. This is a guy who doesn't compare and compete. Yeah. And uh, this serves him very well in terms of living out his mission. Because just like this story, he's getting ready to do some really weird stuff that are gonna that's gonna confuse his disciples um, and not in a curious way. But in a like, what the heck is he doing kind of way? So, yeah, that's the background. Yeah, and and interestingly, I, I believe John, if memory serves, is also the book where it starts to say that as Jesus' ministry goes on, that people start walk, people start leaving, they start walking away. Yeah, that's exactly his right. followers. And yeah. So it would not have even served Jesus particularly well to be playing the numbers game, but yeah. Yeah, it started out really popular, and then it dwindled yeah. consistently. <laughs> so anyway, he, what is it? What is it? Suzanne Stabile says about about Enneagram nines. They start slow and peter off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is very nine-like of uh, the crowd in response to Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, he he's going to Samaria, and it says in here that he had to go to Samaria. Um, we do know that that's the shortest route bet- between two places. And we could get into all the what-have-yous about it. There are all sorts of commentary thoughts on it. But here's the bottom line. This was not a normal move. No. There had been some discord, a bunch of it. You can listen to the the whole message that we have up if you want to know some things that I learned that shared. But basically, the Israelites and the Samaritans did not get along. Right. The Jews at this point. The Jews, right. So, you know, they didn't get along. And um, he's going to show tremendous concern for a woman at a well who, it appears in this story, didn't really get along with her community. And I, I think just before we get too far, one of the points I wanted to make that you made this past weekend was that the the, for those of you who may not know, the Israelites were God's people, and that was sort of the Old Testament term. And then they sort of uh, divide into diff- different factions over time. And so um, they're now known as uh, the Jews in the New Testament, and there's different divisions. And so the Samaritans, um, I'm not I'm not actually using these terms correctly, but the... 
No one knows. The reason Jesus. What's that? (laughs) No one knows. Just use whatever you want to use. But basically, that Jesus would not be going to Samaria because of competition. Right. Right. So to, to draw it to the point you were just making, he would not be going because you've got divisions amongst God's people and they worship in different ways. And so this is largely a group of people that Jesus would not be associating with. And no one would think it was a good idea. Yeah. You know, even if his baptism numbers dropped and he tried to fill the uh, proverbial pews with more people, no one, none of the people that he was hanging out with would have wanted him filled with Samaritans. Right. So this us and them story has been going on for a really long time. Yep. And this woman, a Samaritan woman in the story, uh, is a woman that's got some problems. Yep. And Jesus does this thing that I keep wanting us to remember. He pursues her in love. Now, we could debate why he had to pass through Samaria, Samaria, which is what it says four or five sentences in. Mm-hmm. Um. Was it specifically for her, or was there just work to be done there? I don't know. It's speculation. But here's the interesting thing about the story. He knew her. He knew about her. Um, he knew her inside and out. And she's a representative of this place. Yeah. You know, and, and I think the place is significant because it signifies this division. There's been a big division and so he's entering into the place he shouldn't be going to. And she's a representative of this, of the them. We talk about us's and them's. Yep. And this place is the them, and she is a representative of them. Yeah, and she's really certain she's a them. She doesn't, right. um, she doesn't suffer any lo- illusions about that. And they do some bantering and... He, um, Jesus and the woman, Jesus and the woman banter about a little bit and he speaks to her about, Hey, if you knew who I was, uh, I could give you an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. She seems to get confused by that. That sounds like the message translation. It is a message translation. Our beloved Eugene Peterson passed this week, so I'm using his translation in honor of him. Yeah, we're very sad about that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, she's sassy back and says, well, just just give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty. And then I won't ever have to come back to this well again. And uh, Jesus does this thing. He said, go call your husband and then come back. To which she replies, I have no husband. And then he says, well, that's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. And then, again, is this a sassy response? She says, oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? So, He's really done an intimate thing with her, knowing who she is inside and out. And look what she does. She sort of backs up to the us and them language again. Right. I know she picks something that she knows is a point of conflict. Yes. 
to divert from the attention drawn. Don't you to... think that's interesting? I do. In Brene Brown's research, she talks about this thing called common enemy intimacy. Yep. And it's a way of having fake intimacy because you can be against the same things. Right. Um, I wonder defining, if... Defining your yourselves by what you're against. Yeah. Or, or, or finding other people who are against the same things as you, which gives you a false sense of camaraderie. Yeah. So what I'm noticing here in this text is that it's sort of like the reverse, right? It's It's we are the enemy, so therefore... Let's get away from this intimacy conversation. Yeah. So you know you could flip, you could do sort of some flipper research, and I think it would in, it would make this a very interesting study. Um, and Jesus goes on and dialogues with her, um, and he says something really lovely. He said, "It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth, and that's the kind of people the Father's looking out for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. And it's an invitation to everybody being able to come to the table, is it not? Yeah. It's um, it's it's refusing to buy into the us and them mentality. Right. And it does something for her. It changes her, and ultimately it changes the the um, village. Um, she leaves him in great haste, says she leaves her water pot at the well, um, and she tells people about what he said and then they go see him for themselves and then Jesus stays there a little while and says many people come to believe. So as a woman reading in scriptures that the first person he revealed himself as Messiah to was this woman from this place where there was a lot of competition and discord between the Jews and the Samaritans this is a really powerful story to me about uh, alertness and inclusion and paying attention. Yep. And so I quite love it, and I quite love it within our series too. So, okay, we started by talking about um, the fact that we, we've been talking about the importance of committing ourselves to a process, to spirituality as a process over a long period of time. Wouldn't necessarily use that language, but that was a general idea. Yeah. So we've got this beautiful message of Jesus meeting this woman, their interchange, um, the us and them language, backing away from that. Tie this story into the series. Tell me what you're thinking about and what, in what way this message contributes to uh, the overall story that's being told. Uh, the past few weeks at North Star Community? Well, I think the overall uh, message tie-in for me is going back again and again and again to a remembrance and really the discipline of believing that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are for us, not against us. That they pursue us at, 
at cost to themselves because that's what these stories are about. You know, Jesus was beginning to get on shaky road in terms of ministry popularity, and yet he goes and does this thing that baffles his own disciples. Yep. Um, he was winning in a competition that he withdrew from, you know, and yet he's going to this woman. And so if I'm thinking of myself and our community as the woman at the well showing up with all sorts of uh, reasons um, for feeling like we're the them and not the us, then I am really attentive to how uh, God is responding to us in this. And what he's doing is he's He's saying, I know you inside and out, and that's not the most important thing to know here. The most important thing to know here is I love you, I care about you, um, I am here to tell you that you were created for a life that can hold an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. Part of what I hear in this story is you've got a woman who is, we assume, a social outcast of some kind. That's one of the things everybody seems to agree on in this story is that she's an outcast. And it tends to be that outcasts believe that God could not possibly accept them. Yeah. And I think one of the things, one of the through lines of your messages has been believing that God not only accepts you, but desires for <laughs> desires for individuals to be part of his people, right? Desires right. for each person to be part of his group. Right. Um, what would that change for us? You know, that's kind of the question you've been asking. If you yeah. actually believed that God simply desired that you be part of the group, and we broke down all of the, the us's and them's. I mean, and th this story is just layers of us's and them's. Yeah. Um, within within the group of Jesus' followers, between Jews and Samaritans, uh, between people in her village, between her and her the men in her life, right? between her and Jesus. It is layers upon layers upon layers of us's and them's, and what Jesus is ultimately trying to do is break all of that down to say that there's room for everybody. Yes. And the thing of it is that is also in this story, which I think is is in our sort of message theme and something that you brought home in one of your messages that just killed me with um, the, the truth of it, really, is that when they're doing their little interchange and she's talking to him, she's saying, yeah, give me the water so I don't have to come back to this well. Yeah. So if we're believing that the well is a, a symbol of isolation for her, because she's got to come in the middle of the day, you know, everybody right. talks about this. To avoid, she to, comes she's avoiding people. We assume, or at least we've heard a bunch of times, I haven't researched it, but we assume she comes in the middle of the day to avoid everybody else because that's when it's at its hottest and no sane person would go to draw water in the Middle East when it's at its hottest, right? Right. I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll run with that anyway. Yeah. Well, it works, right? Because then she says, well, give me that water so I don't have to come back to the well anymore. Right. So again, you know, I want a quick fix or at least give me a way to avoid the pain and suffering and problems in my life. Or another way to say it might be, that's what she thinks her biggest problem is. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that you said in one of your messages that I'm now really pondering, 
is these spiritual disciplines do not promise to solve our problems, at least not the problems that we have identified. Yeah. And um, that's quite encouraging to me. Um, if I think my spiritual disciplines are supposed to change my whole personality, right? Yeah. Well, they've never done that. My personality is remarkably and annoyingly the same that it's been my whole life. Yep. Um, so where's the hope in that for you? Yeah. So the hope for me is that I don't think Jesus is saying that my personality is a problem. Hmm. Um, what might be a problem is being defensive about my personality or not appreciating um, all aspects of my personality both the annoying and the anointed parts. And instead, I should be asking different questions. Why am I here? Not, how did I get here? Yeah. You know, um, that is a far more interesting question. And if I can begin to understand why I'm here and how I am already supported by God and loved by him, then there may be some annoying parts of me that I'm very inspired to change because I'm so busy doing the why am I here part. Yeah. So back to the this is us example from this week. There are a lot of things that I do not know about what it means to be black in the United States of America. Or in any other country. Or in any other country. But <laughs> since this is a country I'm living in, um, I'll start with one country at a time in my educational process. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot I don't understand. Yep. And I've always known that. But now that I have a black granddaughter, I've got to up my game in learning it. Um, I don't have the luxury of just saying, I don't know, and learning fun facts from my black friends. I've got to be invested in this learning process because I know why I'm here. I'm here to love her. And I think, you know, I know having any conversation about this often it starts agitating us because there's so much divisive language about it. But I think part of the learning process is embracing embracing and in learning from those who have something to teach us. Yeah. And doing so in a way is to not contribute to the us's and them's. Right. And that's why I think I just can't understand why you're not watching this show because <laughs> <laughs> I think they're doing such a beautiful job of showing everyone's perspective. Yeah. So Kevin and the girlfriend, he also missed a moment when they were in a fat, uh, gas station where the woman at the in the gas station uh, treated this girlfriend, whose name I can't remember, in a very rude and unkind way and Kevin didn't even notice it mm -hmm. and she let all that drop 
but then in a subsequent conversation with another character on the show, came back around and was vulnerable with Kevin and said, I need the silk pillowcase for my hair. A cotton pillowcase would cause my hair to break off. You didn't even notice when we stopped to get gas that I was treated differently than you. Yeah. And Kevin was like, I can't believe I missed this stuff. And it's interesting because he has a he has a an, uh, a brother that was that he was given to him through adoption. So he could have could have known more stuff, right? And I think it just shows how much we all have to learn and how if Jesus can go to such efforts, I think we ought to be going to such efforts. Yeah, I think um, there's so much us and them stuff. There's so much opportunities to attack each other in relationship. And it's it's probably kind of a minor part of the passage, but I think that that interchange where that shift from you're talking about my life to don't you believe this? Right. Um, that move, uh, that deflection and defensiveness to let's talk about the stuff Let's instantly go to the stuff that we know we're not going to agree on so that we can get in a fight and leave and we don't have to engage anymore. And so, that in in contrast to, you know, that's that's what Jesus that's what likely would happen with anybody else. Right. Right. At that point in the conversation. Right. But then Jesus flips the script on what what would be what would happen with anybody else and says, I am the person who can solve your real problem yeah and i think what you're what you're saying in describing that as a moment of vulnerability i mean that's something to key in on as we think about our own lives as the people we have differences with we think about these us's and them's opportunities for us's and them's and the move to make is not the move to the defensive posture that gets us talking about all the things that should draw us apart but instead the vulnerability piece that gives us a, the capacity to engage in relationship in spite of the differences. Yeah, and for me, the takeaway of that is, for me, and I don't know about for anybody else, is I'm really trying to up my consciousness game of when I am, when I am contributing to the us and themness of life. Yep. And I am also trying to understand, appreciate, and have compassion for moments when I notice somebody deflecting. Yeah. So it's really tricky because I think when we try to break down barriers of us and them and we try to push for more vulnerability and more discomfort, and we began to talk about how this stuff isn't going to solve the problems that we might be identifying as problems in our lives. It's going to require us to change how we think about what our problems are. Um, I can imagine that that would create a greater sense of discomfort. Yeah. Brittany and I were having a disagreement last night, in fact, and we were kind of talking about, you know, we're in a stage of life where we're trying to navigate Okay, we're now parents, we have a child, 
things look different. It's it's more difficult for us to get our needs met. Yeah. And at one point in the conversation, and I can't even remember who said what or, or, or whatever, but... I'm sure it was your fault, but keep going. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite sure. <laughs> I'm quite sure Brittany agree, would agree with you. Um, you know, we get to this point in the conversation that could be an impasse. And one of the two of us said, you know, we are talking as if we're in competition with each other and not as if we have the capacity to plan to make sure both of our needs get met. Great insight. And I think that is, in a small, silly way, an example of we had the opportunity to do the us and them stuff to not live out of our certain way of seeing. That's what all of this is about, right? That's right. This is like this whole message is about learning to live out of our certain way of seeing. And that the spiritual disciplines to tie it into the whole series, it's about committing ourselves to the process and trusting God with the outcomes. And that the process of living out our certain way of seeing, we're trusting that there's a, that there's a net good from that. Yeah. That we may not see or recognize or feel or experience. Yeah. And this is one small piece of that. And I, you know, I was so grateful for that moment in our conversation because it, it changed, it changed everything in that moment. But I also know it's going to have a lasting effect for us. Right. Um, because it's a way of committing to our way of seeing rather than committing to moving apart. Right. And those are the, those, those, um, conscious shifts to living out of your certain way of seeing, um, refusing to compare and compete. Um, these, well, let me just say this. Comparing and competing is not working well for us in our world. No. Are we going to consider a new and different way? And it doesn't have to be a big, world-changing, new and different way. Why don't we just start not comparing and competing with our spouses uh, or with our friends? Yeah. That would be pretty cool. It's on us to commit ourselves to the process of, of doing things in a new and different way that uh, crowds out the noise. I think that's what it that's what it's going to look like to live out our certain way of seeing to live out our faith in a time like this is to live in such a way that crowds out the noise and doesn't just choose to keep engaging in the same fights over and over and over again. You know, it's weird. I have this example that I just thought about which is um uh one day last week I had a really terrible day. You know, it just it was just a terrible day. And uh I got a text out of the blue from our friend Andy Gullihorn. And, um, Telling was, you he didn't want to be friends anymore because... Yeah. <laughs> he says, you're them and I'm an us. Yep. It was just a reach out and it was really sweet. And it was like, hey, I'm missing you and stuff like that. And um, he uh, changed my whole week, not just my day. Yep. Um, really appreciative that he did it. But let's get real here. It took him like three seconds to do it, you know? And I think we could do a bunch of three-second stuff and change the world. 
at least the world of the people we know and love. Yeah. So I just want to say that meant the world to me when he did that. Yeah. It feels like we've said everything we're going to say on the matter. Yes, and I'm hungry. I want to go to lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all the people listening, I don't know how to edit these things well enough to get out all of the grumbles of my stomach that the microphone I can hear in my headphones picking up. So I think that might be my stomach. Yeah, it's probably both of us, but yeah, the people will have that to look forward to. Turn your radios up nice and loud. Replay this. Turn turn the radio up. You can listen to our stomach rumble. Yes, there you go. Leave comments if you can hear it, and uh, (laughs) share it to your friends and... We'll see what and, happens. Uh, leave a review about whose stomach rumbled was which. And I'm just kidding. I'm trying to get you to engage with our podcast. Shameless self-promotion. All right. Well, I think this has been about all they can stand. Okay. <laughs> uh, we thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you soon. Let us know what you think of this new format. We would be curious to hear. And if you have ideas for changes we could we can make uh we don't necessarily promise to make them but we promise to listen again this is scott with north star community and Teresa. and uh by the time uh you're listening to this there will be music underneath our voices at the beginning and now and it will be courtesy of blue dot sessions can be found on the web at sessions.blue and if you're looking for us on the web www.northstarcommunity.com thanks for listening